Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the most anticipated movies of Sundance Film Festival 2020. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So you guys are going to be heading to Park City, Utah this week to attend the Sundance Film Festival, the 2020 edition. Uh, before we get into what your most anticipated movies of the festival are, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us why are you excited to go to Sundance? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, it's it's a it's a very cool experience. Film festivals in general, I just love film festivals because. I don't live in a very film centric area. You know, I don't live in New York. I don't live in LA. I live in uh, Southern New Jersey, close to Philadelphia. And we don't really have most of a, a, a film culture. So going out of town to a place that is like all about movies, you know, you're sitting with people who want to sit around watching movies and they're actually there to see the movies that's exciting. And it's also exciting because this is like the, the beginning of the year in film. This is the, the, the festival that kicks off the new year. And, you know, a, a lot of other film festivals like TIFF 
you kind of know what you're getting into. You know what the movies are about. You know what to expect. You have a general idea of what's going to be good and what's not. And you don't really don't have that with Sundance. There aren't, you know, a lot of rollovers. There aren't films that have played other festivals here. These are new things. And it's kind of exciting to go in blind to these things because there, there's a chance you're going to end up seeing a film that's going to be on your, you know, your best of the year. I mean, last year, uh, it was my first year at Sundance and I saw the report and that stayed in, in like my top five of the year because I, I loved it so much. So there's always a chance. Uh, and, you know, there's the flip side that you're going to end up getting absolute crap. But, it, it, you know, it's it, it's exciting overall. Yeah. And it, you go to many film festivals. So like Toronto is more about like the award campaigns begin kind of there in Telluride and that, around that time. Uh, Sundance is more of a, I think, a discovery film festival. It's, it's traditionally where, you know, very independent films would go there and there'd be a big market to, you know, acquire these films. And, you know, you'd have films like, you know, Kevin Smith's Clerks or you'd have Little Miss Sunshine or whatever that would, you know, go there and sell and hopefully find a much bigger audience. Um, ben, why should people be excited about the films that you're excited for this year at Sundance? Uh, because, well, I, I think this year in particular, um, Sundance is, uh, it, I, I'm looking at it as sort of a life raft for the year in film. Because if you take a look <laughs> at the huge movies that are coming out this year, um, I know we just did our most anticipated list. And I, I'm very excited about several of those films. But compared with some of the years that we've just gone through, 2020 kind of looks like a bit of a wasteland at the movie theater in terms of, you know, huge, um, uh, I guess, intellectual property, like studio driven movies. And of course, there are going to be surprises that we don't know about yet. Things that maybe we thought wouldn't be coming out until, you know, a couple of years from now that ended up getting, you know, scooted up on the on the uh, schedule with the release calendar and all of that stuff. And of course, there's tons of indie stuff that sort of pops up and, and um, keeps us afloat throughout the year. But Sundance, for me, I, I think in this year that looks pretty dire uh, is going to be a ray of light, I hope, <laughs> and and a bunch of uh, a place to see a bunch of really hopefully great things that will sustain us throughout this year, which, yeah, yeah just kind of looks a little rough. Oh, for sure. Uh, but I, I think for listeners out there that, you know, are like, why should I care about these little films that are never going to come to my neck of the woods? What what to them? What do you have to say, Ben? <laughs> Uh, well, most of the stuff is available on VOD or becomes available on VOD. And I, I really think that, you know, with as much as people um, as movie going habits are changing and all of that uh, VOD and streaming and all that stuff. I mean, over the past few years, it's it's just continued to rise. And we're definitely living in a world where that seems to be becoming, you know, the the dominant way that people uh, watch movies. You've got uh, domestic box office attendance is down and all that stuff. So I think for a lot of people, um, hearing about these movies early will be a way for them to put these films on their uh, their radars, their watch lists, and then be sustained with something that's actually good over the course of the year as these films start to pop up on streaming services and things like that. So um, I think it's just... Uh, just an alternative to a lot of the sometimes exhausting big budget stuff that that often um, is really disappointing. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, looking forward at this year in film when we we're talking about 
2020, we were talking not about these big franchises. We were talking about filmmakers. We were talking about Christopher Nolan. We were talking about Wes Anderson. We were, do you know what I mean? Like, we were more excited about these filmmakers. And, you know, people like Wes Anderson got their start from film festivals like Sundance. Uh, you know, uh, e- even if you look at the <laughs> the the big franchises that, that you mentioned, you know, like, you know, the guy that's directing Spider-Man, uh, had a, a film called Cop Car that was at Sundance, and that's how he got that job. And, you know, uh, for better or for worse, you know, the guy that's doing Jurassic World and almost did Star Wars Episode Nine, you know, got that job because he had a film at Sundance. So I think this is not only a, a great discovery of great films uh, that Sundance says, it's also a great discovery of talent that could uh, not just be telling these smaller stories, which I'm not meaning to uh diminish in any way a smaller church but like some of these people are going to shape the future of the cinematic landscape in a big way so yeah that's a great point and and um we should also mention that like film festivals like this are a great place for female filmmakers and and filmmakers of color to make uh, a big mark on the the landscape as well because a lot of times those type of filmmakers don't um you know historically have not gotten the opportunities that uh, a lot of let's just say white filmmakers have um to step up into the big uh, you know, tentpole space and get attention that way. So a lot of times people have to sort of prove themselves in this realm. And Sundance and a lot of these other film fests have done a really good job over the past few years of trying to um, widen the net that they cast. And like last year, uh, I think it was Kathy Yan who is directing Birds of Prey had uh, a movie at Sundance. So yeah, there there are several examples of um, like mainstream white filmmakers who have gotten <laughs> who, who have sort of like used Sundance as a, a leaping. Uh, a jumping off point, but I, I think the hope is that um, by you also expanding... have like Brian, uh, you have like Ryan Coogler and stuff like that too, as yeah, well. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, with the the expansion of um, of that net, uh, we'll we'll start to hear from uh, the the voices will be increased across the board. You know. Okay, so you guys have published this list on SlashFilm.com. I will link it to, in the show notes. And this is your ten most anticipated films of the 2020 Sundance Film Festival. Uh, Chris, let's sh- start off with you. Uh, what is Shirley? Uh, Shirley is a film about Shirley Jackson, who uh, is the author of The Haunting of Hill House and several other uh, classic works of weird and creepy literature. And this sounds cool because it's not really a biopic. It's it's like a fictionalized story where this young couple moves into the house that Shirley Jackson lives in with her husband and they discover that things are kind of uh, off kilter, not what they seem. So it's basically kind of like Shirley Jackson is living in one of her stories. And um, it's being directed by Josephine Decker, who is a a filmmaker. I really love. She directed a film, I think two years ago called Madeline's Madeline, which is just, uh, uh, just a very strange and stunning movie that really, you know, it, it was a small film. So a lot of people didn't see it. Uh, but I, I really liked it. Um, and it stars Elizabeth Moss, who is so good at playing <laughs> unhinged women. That's sort of what she's sort of specialized in in uh, the last few years. So uh, all those elements together just really have me interested in, in how this turns out. It sounds like it could be exciting. OK, uh, Ben, uh, tell me about Come Away. 
Come Away is the new movie from Brenda Chapman, who is the director of Prince of Egypt and Pixar's Brave. And she's making her live action debut. This is only her third movie ever. Uh, but this film stars David Oyelowo, Angelina Jolie and Michael Caine. Uh, but the it sounds like most of the focus is going to be on kids because the premise of Come Away is that it's a fairy tale prequel about the early adventures of Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan, but before they, you know, sort of gain those monikers, before they uh, make those journeys to those respective places. So in this story, they grow up as brother and sister, and they have to save their parents from downward spirals until finally they're forced to choose between between home and imagination. So uh, it's definitely a movie that seems geared a little bit more toward a younger crowd. Um, but the uh, the fact that it's Brenda Chapman's third film and the cast that she has uh, acquired for this movie definitely has me curious about this one. Yeah, the premise for that sounds really intriguing. I'm wondering it's how... Also, it's also like the not the only Peter Pan movie at Sundance this year, which is kind of interesting. I didn't realize that. What, what's the other Peter Pan movie? The other one is called um, Wendy, and it's it's from the director of Beasts of the Southern Wild, and that's sort of like a retelling as well. So yeah. it's kind of interesting that they're both playing Sundance. It's a big year for Peter Pan at Sundance. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Chris, tell us about The Last Thing He Wanted. Uh, this is a film from Dee Reese, who directed Mudbound. Um, it stars Anne Hathaway. Uh I know there was like a weird period where there was like this backlash against Anne Hathaway, which I never really understand because I really like Anne Hathaway. I think she's a great actress. And um, this film is about, uh, it's based on a, a book by Joan Didion, who's a phenomenal writer. And uh, Anne Hathaway plays a journalist who um, gets caught up in a story. She's investigating about gun running and uh, her father is involved. And, um, just uh, all these elements. I haven't read the book, but I, I've read other things by Joe Didion and uh, the idea of D Reese adapting Joe Didion's work and with Anne Hathaway in the lead and, and Ben Affleck is in it and Willem Dafoe is in it. This seems like it has a lot of potential to be sort of like uh, one of those awards movies. And I think this is a Netflix film too. Also. Yeah. There's a lot of Netflix at the festival this year. It seems at least from yeah. the outside, yeah. Um, okay, uh, Ben, the th thing that you have next on your list is Omniboat, a fast boat f fantasy? Or wait, what is that? Fantasia. Fantasia? <laughs> what, what, what is this movie? Because I looked up on IMDb, and this movie has like 15 directors or something. Yeah, it's like an anthology. This is, by the way, this is my most anticipated movie of the entire festival because I have no idea what the hell it actually is. So, as you mentioned, it has so many directors, um, uh, I guess two of whom are the filmmaker team known as Daniels, who are responsible for a movie called Swiss Army Man that came out a few years ago. That was also a Sundance movie, I believe. Uh, that's the Farting Corpse movie where Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano were in that movie. I thought that movie was actually really, really good. Um, Hannah Fidel from The Long Dumb Road is one of these filmmakers as well there's a, a ton of people a lot of it seems like first-time filmmakers or first-time feature filmmakers anyway joining together to tell this anthology story that is set in miami and it's basically just about a boat like a, a crazy speed boat and uh there are talking dolphins in this thing unconventional love stories like all of the descriptions of the movie 
sort of dance around what the movie is actually about. And I, I'm wondering if that's because it's not really about anything. It's just like this chaotic thing that's where this one boat is at the center of all these different stories. Uh, but Phil Lord of the, you know, Lord and Miller group is um, one of the co-writers on this. So I'm just very intrigued at like what the hell this thing even is. And I, I have a feeling that it could be very, very special. It also could be a total mess, but um, it sounds unlike anything I've ever heard of before so i'm very excited about it for that reason see you and i have a different approach to the sundance uh ben because when i look at the sundance catalog and i read a description that seems like it it does has no focus i'm like oh skip because usually the film is very experimental and has no focus well, it also has people, I, sh I forgot to mention the cast, uh, Robert yeah. Redford, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, Casey Wilson, Adam Devine, uh, Jessica Williams, and Mel Rodriguez from The Last Man on Earth. So uh, the fact that all of these people, including Daniels and Phil Lord, um, who are, are filmmakers that I really like and admire, uh, decided that this was worth their time, I feel like even if it's a train wreck, it's going to be a fascinating one. So mm -hmm. I am curious to see how this one ends up. Yeah, and I was wrong. It's uh, 14 directors, not 15. So, uh, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about our next film. Uh, this is Jumbo. Uh, Chris, is this the prequel to the new Disney live action remake of Dumbo? No, it's in fact completely opposite to that. Um, this stars uh, Noemi Marlant, who is in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And the movie is about a young woman who works at a carnival and she falls in love with a tilt-a-whirl. And when I say she falls in love, I mean like romantic love. She's romantically attracted to a tilt-a-whirl and honestly that's all i need to know because i need to see this immediately i i don't know this will either turn out to be like a complete mistake or just utterly fascinating so i'm i'm all in on on jumbo i i love movies that take place at carnivals or amusement parks the poster for this movie is brilliant it is her head like the side of, of her head like a headshot juxtaposed uh, uh, juxtapositioned with the tilt-a-whirl so it like completes her head. So it's 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 beautiful. Uh, I'm I'm expecting this is going to be bad, Chris. But <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but at the very least, I don't think it'll be boring. That's how I look at this. Like it might be bad, but there's no way a movie about a woman yeah. who, who wants to date a tilt a whirl is going to be boring. <laughs> I mean, I want to see it. So okay. Uh, Ben, tell me about Palm Springs, because I was just at Palm Springs for the first time ever, and Palm Springs is such an interesting, weird place. It's like this desert uh, community very far outside of L.A., and it just has an aesthetic and vibe of all all its own. So a movie called Palm Springs, this is in intriguing just on the name alone. Yeah, this one sounds a little bit more conventional than a film about a woman falling in love with a tilt-a-whirl. So it's uh, it's basically like a romantic comedy starring Andy Samberg from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Kristen Milioti. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. She was in Fargo and How I Met Your Mother and a bunch of other stuff. Um, these are the romantic leads, and they are characters who attend a wedding in Palm Springs. They're not the ones who are getting married. They're like... Uh, I guess, um, bridesmaids or, or uh, groomsmen or people who are sort of like um, loosely related to the wedding party. Uh, but basically, 
Andy Samberg's character is a guy who just believes in nothing, and he tries to convince this woman, played by Kristen Milioti, that she should also believe in nothing, and they just decide to wreak spirited havoc on the wedding celebration and just sort of embrace nihilism. And um, I'm sure they're going to learn some cheesy lessons along the way and probably fall for each other, but uh, I really, really, really like those two actors. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, Peter, the the setting um, combined with those actors uh, has me excited to see sort of how this one plays out. It, it, you know, all, all of these movies, it's so hard to tell with just a, you know, one or two sentence description if this is going to be one of those, you know, Sundance movies that sort of comes and goes and is totally forgettable or is going to be something that has loads of potential and is like, a, you know, a bona fide classic. So I have no idea where this is going to fall anywhere in between that spectrum, I'm guessing. But um, <laughs> I, I really love the leads a lot. So that that's sort of driving my interest on this one. I will say this so far out of the films you guys have listed, this seems like has the most commercial appeal. Right. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, going from that, let's go on to a Cronenberg film. But this isn't from David Cronenberg. Uh, Chris, tell us about it. Yes, this is um, It's Possessor from director Brandon Cronenberg, who is David Cronenberg's son. And um, this movie is about, quote, a corporate agent who uses brain implant technology to inhabit other people's bodies, driving them to commit assassinations for the benefit of a company. Uh, and I, I really like Brandon Cronenberg's film. He made a film called um, uh, Antiviral, and it was just a really <laughs> gross and weird movie. You can tell he really follows in the in the footsteps of his father. And it stars Andrea Riseborough, who is uh, an actress I, I really uh, like. Um, she's sort of like a chameleon. She never looks the same in, in any movie she's in somehow. And she always gives a good performance, even if the movie itself is bad. And the image for this film is Andrea Riseborough wearing this <laughs> very disturbing mask that looks like her own face that's melting and honestly that all this is is right up my alley just weird creepy <laughs> strange stuff with andrea riseborough i i can't resist that yeah that image is creepy just in itself it ma- makes me not want to see the film <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> i don't know I, I didn't even know it was a mask you're sure that's a mask i mean maybe it's i mean obviously it's not her real face in real life they didn't really yeah, yeah. Andrew face, but uh, <laughs> oh no no but i mean like see you're saying it's not a mask in the story you're saying i mean no i honestly don't know it could be like in the scene her face is really melting i guess i'll, yeah. I'll find out yeah i'll report back yeah report back please okay <laughs> ben tell us about the nest so The Nest is the next movie from Sean Durkin, who made a big splash in 2011 at Sundance with a movie called Martha Marcy May Marlene, which really introduced the world to Elizabeth Olsen in a big way. And that film was about her sort of trying to escape this cult that she was in. And I, I was a huge fan of that movie at the time. And I was, I've was i sort of been waiting for Sean Durkin to make another thing. And I think he's been sort of um, working in TV for a little while, but this, I think, is his his most recent movie, his next movie since then. So um, this one is a 1980s period piece called The Nest that stars Jude Law and Carrie Coon, who are obviously two very, very talented people. Uh, They are a married couple who moves into an English mansion and very quickly realizes that they're living life at an unsustainable, unaffordable pace. So it seems like Sean Durkin is sort of um, tackling the idea of capitalism in this movie. And I'm not really sure Again, I'm not really sure like what the details are in terms of like how exactly all of this is gonna is gonna pan out, but I, I just know the combination of Sean Durkin, Jude Law, and Carrie Coon um, has me really really excited because Martha Marcy May Marlene was so good. 
See, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that film, but everybody was. It seemed like at that, sun, at that Sundance, everybody was talking about that film. Why has he not made a film since then? Right? Like, this is his second film? I think that's correct. Um, let me look this up while we're yeah. talking. Uh, Sean Durkin has directed Martha Marcy Mamrillion in 2011, and he has also directed... Yeah, a, a TV show called South Cliff. Four oh. episodes of that in 2013. This show... Uh, I, I would have anticipated... Yeah, I was going to say, I would have anticipated his career to, like, take off after that, because it seems like Hollywood, uh, at, at least, uh, you know, L.A. was kind of, like, all about him and would have offered him some interesting things. Yeah, I wonder if it's just one of those things where he, he was not interested in, quote-unquote, selling out and just wasn't interested <laughs> in, in all of the offers that were coming his way. Yeah. And maybe this is one of those projects where it's another personal thing that uh, – let me check and see if he wrote this as well. Yeah, he wrote this movie as well. So maybe it's just one of those where it took him a little while to, to crack a new story and, and find the, the right people um, to, to help bring it to life. But I'm glad that he's back behind the camera again. Yes. Uh, Chris, tell us about The Night House. Um, the Night House is a film from David Bruckner, who directed uh, The Ritual, which is a, a horror movie that was released on Netflix, I think, a year or two ago. And it stars Rebecca Hall, who's another one of those actresses I feel like is phenomenal and doesn't get her 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 as much acclaim as she deserves. And she plays uh, a widow who moves into this lake house that her husband had built. And she starts to think it might be haunted, and she starts digging into her husband's past and finds... Uh, disturbing things and again I, I'm a big horror fan and I, I really like David Bruckner and Rebecca Hall so anything that's like uh, you know a ghost story I, I, I'm all in on very cool I like the signal so I, I'm excited to see that uh, okay the last one on this list Ben you put on here summertime what is summertime Summertime is the next film from Carlos Lopez Estrada, who is the director of Blind Spotting, which was a, a Sundance movie from, I think, two years ago that we all really enjoyed. Um, and uh, Summertime is his next movie. It, it sounds like um, more of an experimental film than Blind Spotting was. Uh, it's apparently uh, inspired by a group of high school poets, and it seems like Estrada has gathered these kids, these these high school poets, and is using them to tell like through poetry to tell um intersecting stories about their lives in la so a skating guitarist a tagger two wannabe rappers an exasperated fast food worker and a limo driver all of their stories sort of crisscross and weave in and out um it's supposed to be like a love letter to los angeles uh that has magical realism elements so i'm curious wait, wait, to see... so you're you're not saying this is a documentary um i i think it's it's tough to tell, really. I think it's maybe inspired by a group of real kids, you know, actually delivering poetry that they wrote. But it's it's sort of like a fictionalized version of that. It's not just them sitting in a room and, and reading poetry. It seems like it's um, it's more cinematic than that. So yeah. uh, I am curious to see, like, what it literally looks like, because. Uh, you know, as you know, there aren't really trailers for these movies, uh, for most of these movies uh, beforehand. So um, I'm curious just to see what Estrada does as a follow up to Blind Spotting, because that movie, which had its own sort of um, relationship to poetry and, and music, uh, you know, with uh, Dovey Diggs and, and Rafael Casals characters doing sort of like a freestyle rap, like as the movie goes along. Uh, it seems like he's interested in, in the sort of um, 
the lyricism of uh, of that kind of poetry um, mixed with uh, this storytelling style. So I'm, I'm excited to see sort of like what what he does as a filmmaker and sort of uh, chart his trajectory that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm also interested in this. I I'm a fan of like the intersecting stories genre of films. Like it felt like it was like really big in the '90s, maybe because of Tarantino. I don't know, or whatever, and it uh, kind of died down in like the late two thousand. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that does come back. Uh, Chris, is there any other films you didn't put any other films on this list? But are there other films that you were excited to see at Sundance that just didn't make the list? Oh uh, yeah, there's a few. Um, I, I'm I'm vaguely curious about Downhill, which is the American remake of Force Majeure. Um, I don't know if that's going to work or not because Force Majeure is such a distinct movie, but. You know, I, I like Julia Louis Dreyfus, who is in it, so I, I'm I'm very interested to see how that turns out. Uh, there's another film called um, Kajillionaire, which I honestly don't know much about it. I just know it's directed by Miranda July, who is one of those uh, weird, quirky filmmakers that not everyone likes, but I'm I'm a big fan of her stuff. Yeah, I, I love Me, You, and Everyone We Know, and I feel like yes. that's a movie that most people have not seen. So if, if you haven't seen that, put that on your watch list. I'm not sure where that's available, but it's such a weird, interesting movie, and I think it's Honestly, probably her most commercial movie. Kind of, yeah. She she followed it up with um, another movie called The Future, which is was even weirder and not as accessible. <laughs> uh, and um, I guess um, there's a few more, but uh, the other one is um, I'm vaguely cur- I'm seeing this opening night. I'm vaguely curious about the the Taylor Swift documentary Miss Americana. Um, I feel like uh, you know documentaries about musicians can be really good if they're done objectively and i don't know if this is going to be just like you know look at how great taylor swift is or if it's going to be you know an actual insight into her life but either way i'm i'm interested to see how they go about that do do you think taylor swift is at a point in her career that she would allow an artist a filmmaker to like complete creative control and access to make her to not worry about how she looks no, absolutely not. But yeah. you know, there's there's always a chance uh, uh, a, a tenacious filmmaker can sneak something in there. So, I'll I'll I'll, I'll see how it turns out. Yeah, uh, Ben, what else are you excited for at Sundance? Uh, I'm also sort of vaguely intrigued by Downhill, um, Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. That that combination is interesting to me, and and uh, uh, Jim Rash and Nat Faxon, the guys behind. Um, God, what was the name of that movie that they made with, uh, oh, The Descendants with George Clooney. Um, yeah. They won an Oscar for that script, I think. So they, they're they um, the writer directors of this remake. Um, there's a movie called Run, Sweetheart, Run, where a blind date turns violent and the woman has to get home on foot through L.A. as she's pursued by her date. And the date is played by uh, Pilu Aizback. I think that might be how you pronounce his name. He's the guy um, who played one of the villains in the late seasons of Game of Thrones. So I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, and there's a film called Spree, which stars Joe Keery, who plays uh, Steve Harrington on Stranger Things. And this one is one of those that could definitely go either way, which is why I didn't include it in my official, you know, most anticipated list. But he basically is playing like a, a rideshare driver who figures out he, he's like sort of a social media loser and wants to come up with a way to go viral. So he puts cameras all in his car and tries to come up with some sort of insane game or I don't know. I don't know if there's like uh, murder involved or what, but then a stand-up comedian with her own viral agenda gets in his car and it's about how they sort of clash through the night as, as this ride goes on. So uh, yeah, <laughs> the beginning of that could... sounded awesome. And then it went off the rails. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe the movie will too. I don't know. But uh, I'm going to hopefully try to squeeze that one in there so I can report back. And then um, there's another film called Sylvie's Love that I'm kind of interested in. It's uh, The premise is years after their summer romance come to an end, an inspiring television producer and a talented musician cross paths only to find their feelings for each other never changed. With their careers taking them in different directions, they must choose what matters most. So it's sort of like a a uh, lingering love story. And Tessa Thompson is in that one. And I'm, I'm curious to see. I'm always curious to see new Tessa Thompson projects. So um, this sounds like it could be, uh, yeah, sort of like a maybe it sounds like something HT might really yeah. love. Um, so but she's <laughs> also really good at choosing projects, too. I, I think that's true. I haven't yeah. seen all of her stuff. And, yeah. and actually, HG was just talking about a movie called, I think, Little Woods that I've not yet seen um, from Tessa Thompson. But uh, I, I am excited to check that one out. I think that's on Hulu right now. And then, uh, yeah, Sylvie's Love is also on my Sundance list for this year. OK, so you guys are heading out on what, uh, Thursday? Or is yes. it Wednesday? Yeah, Thursday. And then you'll be back next week to report back. You'll, you'll We'll have reviews from you guys while you're at the festival. And then when you're back here, hopefully we can get you guys in a room together virtually and uh, report back on what, what is the best stuff you've seen and what we should actually, you know, have on our watch list from, from, you know, what you've seen and heard about. Yeah. So. We'll, we'll see how wrong we were about these predictions and what movies hopefully rose <laughs> to the top and surprised us. Yeah. Anyways, you can find this list and everything we talked about on slash film.com and in the show notes, you can find, this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>